Well, as I already hinted, uh, John begins by inviting us to join him in marveling at the love that God has for us as his children. And if you have ever missed anything about Christianity, do not miss this one thing, that the Christian faith is one that centers around the theme of love. Love. In fact, the greatest commandment is that we are to love the Lord our God with our, all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. And the second, Jesus said, is like unto it. And it is that we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. The moment you miss love, you've missed Christianity altogether. And indeed, it's not because we are trying to do something. It is that God has done something out of love. And we are recipients of it. And so assurance of eternal salvation includes an overwhelming realization that God has made us objects of his special affection. And hence, John seeks to capture something of this when he says, behold, behold, see what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us. It's meant to bring out something of the excitement that he himself has as he writes these words. This is not a doctrinal statement he is making. It is an invitation to join something of the amazement in the emotions that he himself is going through as he contemplates the love of God. It, he is musing over this rather exhilarating thought that this glorious, divine, eternal, sovereign being of the entire universe has made us sinful creatures of dust to be the objects of his special love. Now, the point he's making is this. It blows his mind to think about that. Does it blow yours? When he speaks about, behold, what manner of love, it's, in a sense, it's simply saying, what kind of love is this? But it's, it's more than what kind of love is this. It's, it's sort of the phrase you use when you are saying, you know, it's, it's out of this world, out of this world. When you're using that phrase, what you're really meaning is, you know, you can't find words, phrases, pictures in which you can fit what you are talking about. We have this, referred, this phrase used a number of times, 
One of them is in Mark chapter 8 and verse 27, where uh, Jesus has just stilled an entire storm. And <laughs> the disciples, as the storm is stilled, look at him and say, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? I mean, again, he must be out of this world. You, know, you, you cannot think of anybody, even in our days of uh, uh, all kinds of um, extreme thoughts, nobody has been able to do that. There are other places in the New Testament where this phrase is used. But again, we are being invited to admire this love. Do you do that? Do you ever take two steps backwards and get overwhelmed? That God should love you, even you, in the light of what you know about yourself. Well, what has this love done? Uh, John tells us here that it has made us God's children. God's children. He uses the phrase there that we should be called. Back to our text. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Now, under normal circumstances, um, that would have been referring primarily to our adoption as God's children. Because therein lies our position in Christ. It is fairly clear from the context that the Apostle John is thinking more about our regeneration, our being made God's children by the Holy Spirit transforming us from the inside out. How do I know that? Well, we added chapters and verses long after the Bible was written, if you go to the end of chapter 2, remember John was just writing. Uh, the end of chapter 2, this is what he says. If ye know, that's verse 29, that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And that's when he says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. And then I took you to verse 3, where he said, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And the first test he goes into from verse 4 all the way to verse 10 is again this test of death to sin, and alive to righteousness. I'll just quickly read to you verse 9 and verse 10. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, 
and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So whereas it is true, we often think in terms of the call to being those children as receiving the benefit of adoption, the Apostle John here is primarily thinking in terms of that change, that spiritual change, that moral change that has made us partakers of the nature of God himself. And friends, that's what is amazing. That God has not just given us this position, but he has himself entered into our lives through a work of regeneration, giving us life where there was death, and more so, giving to us divine life, the life of God himself. There we were, totally depraved sinners, hell-deserving, with our fists in the air against the true God of heaven. And by an act of regeneration, he has made us his own, transformed us. What can we say to that? What much less love. What much less love. Now, many people that I know, and probably it's the same in America, um, postpone all that reality to after they die. So they get quite upset when you say to them, you know, I know I'm a Christian. If I die today, I'm going to heaven. And they, they call that arrogance. They say, how can you know? And so when you ask them about whether they are truly God's children, or they say, I hope so. And if you say, well, if you die today, where will you go? Well, it depends on a lot of factors. And in a lot of factors, what they're really saying is they do not know this assurance at all. Now, to be in that state, you cannot join John in being utterly amazed at this flood of love that's poured upon your soul by this glorious God. You can't. So John goes on to say that, in fact, in verse 2, beloved, now are we the sons of God. In other words, in this same text, he is assuming that this is not something we are waiting to see happen later. But this is a present reality that we are experiencing 
when we have known this transformation from sin to holiness, from a love of self being primary to a love of God being primary. Our eyes opened to the glory and beauty of our great God. We experienced that in the now. Not just hoping that one day it will be the case, but that we are God's children and that we are God's children today. I'm pretty sure if you are one of those who every so often get completely swallowed up with this amazing reality, it should baffle you that the world doesn't seem to see that. That they don't notice that between you and them is like light and darkness. How come the world does not recognize that the powers of the coming age have invaded your soul and that you are different because of what has happened. Back home, my wife and I often muse about this because in the African context, our families tend to interact quite a lot uh, among our siblings and their children and so on. And this is now 30 years later. We've all had our children and our children have now grown up and you can see the fruit of our lives. Well, they can see the fruit in our children's lives. But for some reason, they just conclude, well, you know, their father is a reverend. Of course, he must have sort of panel beaten them into shape. So they are behaving like this because of their father's profession. Why can't they see that this Christianity is real, it transforms from the inside out, and their Christianity is false. It is merely nominal Christianity. Why can't they see that? Well, it often bothers believers that they fail to appreciate this. Well, that's what John goes on to draw our attention to here, doesn't he? He says, therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. It's not too obvious from the English version, but in the Greek, the phrase is very close to what the apostles were dealing with and what John was dealing with as he wrote this epistle. And it was Gnosticism, which really was teaching a very mystical kind of 
knowledge that ultimately was a heresy that was finding a place within the Christian church. And so as John was writing this epistle, again and again, this aspect of knowing and knowing keeps coming up. If you go to, for instance, chapter 2 and verse 20, this is the way he puts it. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. So this aspect is something that he was dealing with constantly through this epistle. And at this point, he is turning all that round in terms of, yes, you know God, but don't be surprised that the world does not know you. So really, you are the ones who have that true knowledge because you have the unction of the Spirit at work within you. They don't. And I think, uh, brethren, it's something that even today we need to embrace. That we are God's children. God knows us. He has made us his own. In fact, he has so ordained things that all things are working together for our good. We are, so to speak, at the very center of the entire engine and enterprise of heaven. Not so that we can go around strutting like peacocks, but rather that in genuine humility, we may be grateful to this God for the extent of his love. Indeed, he commands his angels to look after us day and night. But the world treats us in an opposite direction. They don't know us. To them, we are merely people who've taken on a religion the way in which Buddhists have taken on a religion. I hope this is fine. Yeah. And then Muslims have also taken on a religion. And all the other religions of the world. In other words, it's some teachings that we've adopted and are trying to live by. That's all they think we are. The mystery of regeneration is something they are completely ignorant of. They can't see that you are recipients of an act of God, a singular act of God 
a unique act of God that has put new life into you, eternal life that will mature when you reach the other side. The new birth, the birth from above, born anew, is something they don't realize. And therefore, they simply hate the fact that you are so militant about it, that you seek to go to them and say, come to my father and experience his love. To them, that's your religion. I've got my own. What ignorance. What ignorance. And we're still from there. They persecute you. That's what Jesus warned the believers about. Persecution becomes inevitable because they think you are merely arrogant. Leave everybody to their own religion. How do we solve that in our minds and our thinking? How? It is by remembering Christ when he was on earth. Did they recognize him? No. This is what John says. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. This is obviously referring to God, but more specifically, the second person of the Trinity who once lived on earth. They never recognized him. They never gave him the due position for who he was. Look at where he was born. In a cow shed. Why? The inn was full. Can you imagine? Remember how as a baby he had to escape for his life to Egypt, taken by his parents. Why? Because he was being hunted like a wild animal. Look at the way he grew up as a carpenter's son. Who would have looked at him twice? The creator of the entire universe himself. Completely overlooked. And then as he began to teach the truth, the religious leaders hated him, and rushed him to the cross. They got rid of him at a tender age of about 33. And that, despite the fact that his life showed not only blamelessness and righteousness, but love unequaled. He fed their hungry. He healed their sick. He raised their dead. In other words, he used all that was in him to meet them at various points of their need. Love oozed out of him. And they killed him. Should it surprise you? 
if they did that to your master, should it surprise you that they don't recognize you? It only makes sense. Two things as I quickly close. First of all, do you see a moral and spiritual transformation that has taken place in you that no human ingenuity or effort could have produced? Do you see that? Because if your Christianity is merely outward reformation because you've been brought up in a Christian context and you've been trying your best to be a little different from everyone else. <coughs> That's not biblical Christianity. That's not going to fill you with an amazement concerning the love of God. You cannot speak in the words of Paul in Ephesians 2, but God. You can't because it's all your own effort and you know it frustrates you. Because every time you pull out one of your legs from the quicksand of moral depravity, the other one sinks twice deeper and you know it. If on the other hand, you see this moral and spiritual transformation, join John in taking two steps backwards and then jumping into the air with three shouts of hallelujah. God has bestowed on you his special love. Rejoice in it, whatever your outward circumstances might be. Rejoice in it. Secondly, never base your assurance of your Christian faith on how the world looks at you. Because it is blind. The world does not see the glory of God that is beaming from inside you. The angels do that. You are marked clearly as very special to God. But not the people of the world. They will treat you like trash. Don't think. God is also treating you like trash. Don't. You are special to him. Rather, let the truths of the Christian faith, as they are taught in this book, let those truths overwhelm your heart with thanksgiving to God that if he has made you his child, he's loved you, with an everlasting love. He will take you through all the circumstances of life and finally say to you, well done, well done. Come home, my child. May that be true of you. 
Amen. Let's pray and then I will step down. Our Father in heaven, thank you that truths pinned down over 2,000 years ago still come with a sense of freshness to our souls. Yes, we are amazed at the way, the kind of, the manner of love with which you have loved us. Where else on this entire planet is there an equivalent? There's none. Oh God, grant that in the midst of the trials of life, and the many heresies that surround us, we may gather around this feast and stand amazed. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.